0: Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is The AgriPod with Alice McFarland.
1: On this episode, prairie barley growers may have dealt with a variety of growing conditions, but for the most part, the 2020 harvest was a success simply because the dry, warm fall had farmers bringing in the crop in near record time. With strong feed barley prices, producers will have a lot to consider before plant 2021 begins. Mitchell Japp is the Research and Extension Manager with the Saskatchewan Barley Development Commission. We'll talk about the condition of last year's crop and some of the strong performing barley varieties that farmers can think about before spring seeding. Researchers with the Western College of Veterinary Medicine have found using body cameras similar to those used by police offer a viable option for swine barn workers to support remote animal welfare assessments. Dr. Yolande Seddon is an assistant professor of swine behavior and welfare with the Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan. She says that same technology might also be able to identify animal welfare factors that impact product quality. After the break, Mitchell Japp.
0: Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane.
1: Mitchell Japp is the Research and Extension Manager with the Saskatchewan Barley Development Commission. Mitchell, first of all, let's start with the 2020 harvest and how did the barley crop fare last year?
0: In general, I think it was a a reasonably good year. There was a few dry pockets across the province uh, kept uh, things a little bit more challenging, but overall ended up to be in a pretty good spot yield-wise, and, and quality turned out to be pretty positive, too. One nice thing about it was, uh, compared to the year before, a lot of the crop got in the bin before we, we ran into any fall weather problems.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That seems to be a common theme, uh, talking with producers, reflecting back on uh, on the crop year 2020 was, thank goodness we finally got a harvest where it was a harvest. <laughs> <laughs> exhausting and busy but uh the crop got in in fairly good condition. Mitchell, when uh when we're talking about barley production in Saskatchewan, how does it compare to the other prairie provinces?
0: Yeah, um, Saskatchewan's generally a, a little bit lower in acres than Alberta and uh and both Alberta and and Saskatchewan have uh the the bulk of the barley acres. Um, when fusarium started becoming a little bit more prevalent in, in Manitoba, it, it made uh, barley production a pretty big challenge there. And so we see a little bit lower barley acres in Manitoba, but uh, most of those in Alberta and Saskatchewan. A um, Little bit different breakdown of what type of uh, barley you see. Alberta tends to be a little bit heavier on the feed of barley varieties. Saskatchewan tends to be uh, multi-types. So usually around 70 to 75% of Saskatchewan acres are uh, c to two malt varieties
1: of course barley is one of the main ingredients for a favorite adult beverage uh, that many of us enjoy uh, let's talk a little bit about that malt barley market right now uh, how are prices looking for producers uh, this winter and then how does that impact their decisions heading into spring and what they're planning on putting in the ground
0: well, it seems right, right now. I'm to be honest, not much of a price guy. It's a, all focus on the production side, and usually, let others focus on the prices. But I do know that uh, prices have been quite strong um, throughout the last several months, uh, along with a lot of different crops in uh, in the prairie crop basket. It's pretty pretty decent prices out there. In barley's case, though, it's uh, feed it's really driving uh, the prices, and so there's pretty uh, high demand for barley um, for as a feed crop uh, to get into into livestock, and so um, that's driving the market prices right now. So you'll see malt prices, um, they'll be kept uh, afloat as to where they are by the feed market, and so that, you know, when feed prices are high, it's generally good for, for barley growers.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so when it comes to malt versus feed barley, making that decision for spring, how do producers, you know, go about uh, making that choice?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, Alice. Thanks. It's a tough decision, I think, for growers here. It's, uh, because of that long history of, uh, of Saskatchewan growing a lot of malting type of barley uh, with most of the acres down into malt varieties, it uh, it kind of indicates a little bit where where producers have gone in the past and and probably uh expect they'll probably continue with that um we're starting to hear a little bit of information uh out of a project in alberta where they're they're saying that the um, returns on on feed barley have been pretty positive uh and can can out yield uh, can out yield the, the malting types but uh, we've had some research here in saskatchewan that shows a little bit different so uh, Sas barley and the ministry had funded uh, the demonstration project over three years, uh, which was led by, by the East Central Research Foundation, and they they showed um, pretty consistently that the malt varieties were um, were pretty competitive with the feed varieties. And so, from a grower's perspective, when when you can be competitive um, on yield, and especially with these newer varieties that are coming out uh, with the feed varieties, and and you know, occasionally hit that market premium with with the malt. Uh, it's it makes it a pretty straightforward decision that uh, the malt is, uh, is generally beneficial. Of course, you want to know where the where the dollars are coming from, and so um, making that that decision in advance is, is helpful. But uh, when you have got a malting variety, uh, it does open up access to a wider a wider um, market, and so. Um, Malt varieties can be used both for malt and for feed, and so this uh, really uh, gives a little bit more flexibility in what the marketing can be done in the end with that. So that's uh, certainly one positive out of the malt varieties. And then, as I mentioned, the newer varieties are really starting to catch up um, to the yield potential of the of the feed types, and so that research they mentioned, uh, the East Central research, um, which was replicated at a number of the agrar locations across the province, um, they found pretty consistently that the newer varieties like CDC Bowl and um, AAC Synergy can be uh, quite competitive on yield with the top yielding feed varieties like CDC Austin.
1: Sask Barley Research and Extension Manager, Mitchell Japp. Now, the research component is... um in your wheelhouse right now in, in this position uh, you've mentioned uh, that particular project. Are there any other uh, areas that, that you feel need a lot of focus barley? I know that we talked a little bit about, um, about disease issues. So is there maybe some other areas of research that are going on that uh, is going to, I guess, uh, improve the palatability of, of growing barley for producers?
0: Yeah, and so this transition period we're in right now, we've um, had dominance dominance on the malting side by CDC Copeland and AC Metcalf now for, for a really long time. Um, both those varieties were registered just in the, in the late twentieth century, um, and so they've been been there, and growers have, haven't been able to access some of the newer genetics because the. The market demand on the malt site hasn't been there for those newer varieties until now and so we're starting to she- see a real shift um to, you know AAC synergy has come and coming up in the in the variety uh, surveys showing that it has now surpassed ac metcalf in in acreage so that's a, so something that's exciting to see but um also seeing a surge in the uh, other varieties like cdc bow AAC connect and cdc Fraser. They, um, and the, these varieties they're, they're on par with uh, Synergy, or pretty close to it, which is, is right neck and neck with that CDC Austin, which is among the top yielding uh feed varieties in the province. So, the potential of these varieties is, is just remarkable. And with uh, with the higher yield potential of these varieties, um, they, they tend to have a little bit lower protein, and so I think it's going to lead towards a uh. An opportunity for some research to show what can be done, but uh, also a mindset shift for producers growing these. So, if you're switching from an AC Metcalf to uh, you know, one of these higher yielding ones like uh, AC Synergy or, or uh, CDC Bow or or one of the other ones, um, the potential of what you can do with it from a fertility and management's perspective is, uh, I think, a little bit untapped. So we've uh, we've got a project, uh, SAS barley, is funded jointly with the ministry. Um, again several sites across the province um, trying to look at what some of the potential agronomic uh, inputs and what, what, how can these be optimized to get the best results for producers um, so it's looking at uh, seeding rates, seed treatment uh, different fertility levels uh, use of a plant growth regulator and, uh, and different uh, fungicide applications and taking it all the way through to yield looking at protein levels and uh, going through the full um, full um, uh, malt quality analysis and I- even to the step of actually malting uh, the samples so that you can give a real sense of um, how the different combinations of agronomic inputs are influencing the, the malt characteristics of these, of these new varieties.
1: Mitch, let's go back to beer, because why not? Um, the craft brewing industry is hugely popular, especially here in Saskatchewan. Uh, do they require very specific types of barley for for their beer that helps them to achieve the, the special taste? Is that a completely different line of barley that we're talking about? Um, yeah, so th-
0: I think the, what it comes down to is um, in the craft breweries, they tend towards uh, all malt um, uh, beer production. And so uh, on, a, on a larger scale, um, breweries they will they'll take a certain amount of, of malt and they'll mis- mix it with uh, an adjunct, which would be a, a sugar source uh, for them, but they need, um, need the enzymes from the barley in order to make make the beer. And um, at the craft level, they're, they're using all-malt production, so the requirements of what they're looking for are a little bit different. Uh, this, the varieties that are available here are certainly um, certainly options. Um, they, they've got a specific enzymatic and protein profile um, that they look for, whether it's all-malt or adjunct-based uh, brewing, and, and they'll uh, select the variety on that basis. Um, and you know, as point of example, um, there was a project a couple of years ago where uh, where the seed company took a CDC bow and uh, went to the um, to Maker's Malt, which is a boutique malt house in Rostern, and they they malted that CDC bow and and made it available available to the craft breweries across the province, and uh, and so people were able to come in and at specific tastings, um, see what each of the brewers did with that, uh, that new um, new malt variety out of this crop development breeding program.
1: Mitchell Japp is the Research and Extension Manager with Sask Barley. After the break, can cameras replace in-person inspections in swine barns? Yolan Seddon will share research underway at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine.
0: Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane.
1: Dr. Yolande Seddon is an assistant professor of swine behavior and welfare with the Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan and the NSERC Industrial Research Chair in Swine Welfare. And she's here to talk about how barn workers may be using body cameras and how it can be helpful in pork production. So, Yolande, where do you see these cameras being used?
2: So we're talking about um, <clears throat> well, I guess a variety of things. It could be uh, on-farm animal welfare assessments for quality assurance programs that happen on a uh, annual or semi-annual basis. It could also be an assessment of the animals to evaluate animal care and condition of the animals um, by barn personnel to send to upper management. And then obviously we also had Uh, an interest to look at this, not only for what value it could provide to the industry in in supporting um, remote assessments for perhaps easier assessments to complement live animal uh, in-person assessments, um, but uh, working in COVID, it also potentially offers us a way to help um, continue animal welfare assessments for one of our research projects whilst reducing COVID-19 and
1: biosecurity concerns. So what are the goals of these, um, of these assessments, and how can the use of cameras be helpful?
2: So yeah, with, with regards to the research we are doing, um, we're wanting to evaluate um, the value of um, performing assessments of animal welfare indicators on the pigs at slaughter and understand how it relates to the welfare of the animals throughout their life on farm. In a way, we can understand the relationships we can identify if we can actually incorporate animal uh, welfare-based observations on carcasses as part of a um, uh, surveillance or um, assessment tool in order to give feedback to producers about uh, their animals on farm and other parts of the production chain in transport and in lairage. Um, And so... As part of these assessments in terms of research, we're wanting to evaluate um, the reliability and how specific uh, these indicators of slaughter can tell us about uh, animal welfare and the experience of the animal on farm. And obviously, if this is accurate uh, and reliable, then that would provide a valuable tool for industry to adopt Uh, Again, supporting um, on-farm assurance schemes for animal care um, and also providing tools for businesses to give feedback to producers about their animals from which um, monitoring and continuous improvement can grow.
1: What are the potential advantages of moving from live animal welfare assessments to virtual? And maybe explain what potential there is for using this uh, type of technology in other areas.
2: So certainly moving from live animal to virtual, um, obviously we will always need the live animal component. That should never go away. But certainly having um, the virtual abilities as well, means that we can increase oversight um, which definitely could be a supportive tool if you have pigs in multiple barns. Um, It does also mean that we could maybe reduce some costs because you could have an assessment done uh, on farm remotely as as opposed to having someone come in in person and if necessary there could be increased frequency of assessment where needed Um, again for that oversight of bonds in, in their own management of their animals and whether that is part of an assurance scheme requirement or an internal um, auditing process by companies. Uh, in terms of being able to sort of automate this, certainly if we were seeing that there was value in uh, assessing animal welfare on carcasses at slaughter, we would need that process to be automated because of um the volume of animals that are processed uh, in an abattoir um coming from across the country and then that would mean that we could automate them potentially the feedback and the, the sort of understanding on the knowledge that is coming off these animals in order to have sort of a continuous feedback loop um i would also add that um You know, there is um, a lot of research going into uh, artificial intelligence and and how can imaging systems pick up um, behaviors of animals and um, potentially um, marks on animals or indicators. And therefore, further down the line, who knows, we might be able to automate some of this data capture on farm to, again, help with management of the animals and build up data on animal care.
1: Yolande Seddon is with the Western College of Veterinary Medicine. Yolande, at what point during the production and processing chain might uh, this video imaging actually be gathered and how would that information be applied?
2: Sure. So really we could uh, gather image from any part of the production chain, so really where animals are being raised, in areas where handling takes place, loading, um, in time, there could be um, cameras on trailers if necessary. Um, the technology, being able to withstand different temperatures would be needed. Um, the same for lairage when animals are unloaded. A, a lot of abattoirs already have um, camera systems in place to review animal care protocols. Um, and obviously, additionally, we could have cameras viewing carcasses on the line, Um post-mortem in order to, again, review um, the animals and particularly looking at marks on the animals or skin lesions. I I am also aware that there is potentially some work going on looking at uh, even internal organs um, and seeing if camera systems can detect marks on internal organs. Um, So, yeah, as you can see, the ability to observe animals and um, pick up information from them is hugely important to um, operations to understand animal care and how the animals are doing. And therefore, if cameras are able to pick up high quality images to spot um, essentially good, clear images of what we need to see, then it provides the opportunity to capture information at every part of that chain. And due to the volume of animals that are being taken care of, that's where automation can also come in to help process the capture and well, the the capture and processing of that information.
1: So I'm assuming there are some economic implications of using this type of technology?
2: Well, I guess there's several points. There's obviously economic implications if we, um, you know, if if there can be cost savings to having um, people traveling out to barns, you could instead have a camera based in a barn. Um, There's also from a... um, if there was to be an assessment of carcasses at slaughter, um, I think there's interest there to identify if there are relationships between what we learn from these animal-based indicators of welfare and perhaps um, what is known on farm through images and animal handling practices and being able to tie this information together and therefore identify uh, what Controls need to be put in place to maybe improve a practice or, or change an approach because you will be able to understand if there are economic implications as opposed to carcass loss uh, or animal death that might have taken place.
1: Are you seeing interest from outside uh, of your research area with regards to this technology?
2: Uh, I think there's a lot of interest in technology um, in in agriculture, obviously with. There's a lot of animals being taken care of, and obviously um, technology can help us to do this better. Um, and so, yes, um, I would say there's a lot of interest in general. Certainly I can speak for the research world. There's a lot of research interest in in identifying um, if camera systems can automatically detect the behavior of animals that we're interested in to provide lead indicators of changes in animal behavior that could indicate a disease or an animal welfare, you know, like tail biting outbreak. Um, And also I think a technology to identify, um, you know, changes in carcasses or or lesions that could indicate, um, you know, changes that we need to manage. So yes, I, I, No, there's a lot of interest in the research world, and I think that's being driven because there is interest also at the the industry level, and no doubt, possibly, there will be interest from companies as to how they can apply this in their business and also potentially in markets as to how um, this could be used to help verify product quality and, again, um, animal care verification for products.
1: So, what does the future hold for the application of video in in a barn setting?
2: I'm expecting that we will see more of it um, because it is being asked for in a number of places, and I think that um, again, as I've stated, video can help um to to provide a different level of oversight of animal care um and and um I think it could help, you know, if COVID is is changing the way the world works, it can provide biosecurity benefits as well um, for remote monitoring. And I think, you know, it will never replace in-person visits and in-person oversight, but it it adds another layer which can help. Um, And I think it can uh, help to pick up on uh, maybe items to address maybe quicker than we can if we're not able to uh, observe the pigs uh, at all times of the day, which a camera could be doing this and processing that information, for example. And certainly in terms of research, we already use cameras a lot to collect the behavior of our pigs, and certainly we are uh, eager and supportive of if we can automate that because in animal behavior research, we spend a lot of time watching the behavior of the animals this is, this is uh, early days in this research, but I think there's a lot of scope to it. And again, we thank the uh, collaboration of industry partners um, who support the NSERC and just research chair uh, in this and, um, yeah, watch this space.
1: Dr. Yolande Seddon is with Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan, and she is also the Research Chair for the Natural Sciences and Engineering Research Council of Canada in Swine Welfare. It's time for the weekly Agriculture News Roundup for the week of February 8, 2021. CP Rail said it moved a record amount of grain in January, carrying 2.22 million metric tons of Canadian grain and grain products. That was up 6% from the previous record, it set in January of 2020. CN Rail reported it set its own record of 2.95 million metric tons, beating its previous January best set in 2019, of 2.33 million metric tonnes. But record cold may impact those numbers. CN's David Shadnovich said bitter cold slows grain movement. For safety reasons, trains are shortened when temperatures are below minus 25. The United States is still the largest buyer of Saskatchewan agri-food products, but only barely. 2020 statistics have total sales to the U.S. at $3.2 billion, only $50 million ahead of China at 3.24. billion. Japan was a distant third at $1.23 billion. Rounding out the top five were India at number four with 701 million in sales, Mexico at 672 million. Also in the top 10 were United Arab Emirates, Bangladesh, Italy, Turkey, and Morocco. And when you break it down by product, the top 10 Saskatchewan exports were canola seed, wheat, lentils, canola oil, durum, peas, canola meal, soybeans, barley, and oats. Some red flags after comments from the new U.S. Secretary of Agriculture. Tom Vilsack said he would be willing to consider ideas on country of origin labeling as long as it didn't violate the 2015 World Trade Organization ruling in Canada's favor. Former Federal Agriculture Minister Jerry Ritz said the WTO dispute settlement system takes a while to wind up and get going. Canada still retains the legal right to implement retaliatory tariffs if the United States reintroduces a similar MCOOL requirement. Farmers Edge announced that it's putting together a plan to become a publicly traded company. The digital agriculture business based in Winnipeg filed a preliminary prospectus with the security regulatory authorities in each of the provinces and territories. The company estimated its initial offering size at roughly $100 million. Farmer's Edge was founded in Manitoba in 2005 by agronomists Wade Barnes and Curtis McKinnon and was the first company to bring variable rate technology to Canada. Hog producers who ship to Ollimel's Red Deer Alberta processing plant were asked to reduce their deliveries by one-third over the next three weeks. Canada West manager of hog procurement Ian Moon said rising COVID case counts and growing absenteeism at the Red Deer slaughter plant resulted in the daily kill volume being reduced 50% for a two-week period. The plant capacity is 18,000 hogs per day. Protein extraction continues to grow the prairie-based value-added industry. Protein Industries Canada jointly invested in a plant-based end product for medical and sports nutrition. CEO Bill Gruhl said patients in recovery from surgery, the critically ill, and athletes building muscle mass are among the target market for the end products of Enhanced Medical Nutrition and Infinite Nutrition Canada. Gruhl is hoping to see the creation of ready-to-mix protein powders within 18 to 24 months.